Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now a part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My returning guest, John Droz, is a physicist and an environmental advocate. He's been um, pretty much self-taught in these two fields for decades and decades, and he seems to have really good uh, research into various topics. And one topic he's researched I want to talk about is the Texas blackout. The electricity and water essentially blackout, which I had an honor to be a part of living in Texas. But I wanted to find out the real story and the real reasons about what happened. So that's why he's here today. John, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about, you know, the, the background of what Texas energy and the grid and the sources of energy look like. And then let's get into the details of what happened. Well, to, to really understand the story here, uh, citizens have to understand a few things about the grid. And uh, of course, that's where a lot of times people just shut down. You say, I'm going to explain a few things about the grid. Their eyes glaze over and that's the end of it. So that's why we uh, continue to have a variety of problems because of uh, the people who do understand the grid are uh, self-interested people like uh, wind industry uh, developers, for instance. I mean, they understand the ins and outs of it and they're playing it like a fiddle. Why do you think regular citizens, is it that they don't care about the grid or they feel like no, it's so Because it's a technical matter. We're gradually getting into, uh, I think our whole education system has been going downhill. And uh, one of the key things, in my view, all along to teach in school, grammar school, high school, college, is uh, the ability and interest and uh, to do critical thinking. And hmm. that's become passe. People now, or students now, are pretty much just uh, told what to believe, and it's uh, more robotic than any critical thinking. So, for instance, if you went into a class, let's say a high school class, and said, let's discuss uh, climate change as an example, do you think there'd be an open-minded discussion about this, or do you think everybody already have their mind made up? Yeah, everyone's allowed their mind to be made up for them, and don't question. The right. people that do, they scream at them and call them names. Right, exactly. So there's no encouragement of critical thinking. So what do you think happens? We end up adults that are robotic. Uh, they don't understand all that much. The polite euphemism is to say they're technically challenged. Uh, so we're talking about the grid. That's a technical matter. So as soon as you start talking about some technical issues, they don't feel comfortable discussing it. A perfect okay. example, in my view, about uh, electricity is to just ask uh, people to explain what happens when you throw the light switch on the wall. Explain how the light goes on and what, what's really going on when that light switch is being thrown. Uh, oh, since you brought it up, what, what's your explanation for it? To, to try to get a citizen to explain that, I can assure you that 95% of them uh, would not be able to explain what happens because they don't really understand electricity coming to their house. They don't understand 110 versus 220. They don't understand AC versus DC, blah, 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 blah. They don't understand hardly any of these things. So when you start getting into intricacies of, well, what's the difference between wind and nuclear and stuff like that? I mean, you're, you're way over their head. I mean, way over. Oh, well, give me a primer and the listeners a primer on the Texas electric grid. What's, 
what are the energy sources and what are the nuances of it? Well, the energy sources are the same as they are any place. They have a, a, a cross section. The biggest difference is that, uh, okay, well, here, here's the, uh, our electric grid here, that, that's a phrase, but uh, that has been identified as probably the most amazing engineering accomplishment that the United States has had over the last hundred years. Look it up. Okay. So just that ought to tell you something. There's a lot more than just a bunch of wires running around. Well, what, what makes it such an extraordinary achievement? What are a few pieces well, of Well, go to some third world countries and see what they have. But the, the whole idea is that uh, supply and demand has to be balanced every fraction of a second. Okay? So supply would be electrical energy sources. So this would be conventional sources like uh, nuclear, uh, coal, uh, gas, uh, hydro, stuff like that. And on the other hand, uh, that would have to be, those would be supply. So for the last, uh, since the early 1900s, that has been uh, sufficient to meet our demand. And if we, uh, there's, well, the second thing is you have to understand the demand curve. Demand during every day, the electricity demand is not a straight line amount every day. It goes up and down. Generally, it uh, follows the shape of a sine curve. So uh, it actually... Uh, peaks around uh, times when people are up in the morning, let's say going to work, and then it actually drops off. And then it peaks again when people come home, you know, get the stove on, the TV on, all this kind of other stuff. And then it goes down again uh, at night. Roughly speaking, it's sort of a sign here. So we have to, we have, to have the this supply, this changing uh, demand, rather, uh, matched every fraction of a second. Okay, not every hour, not every minute. Fraction of a second. Okay. So anytime there's demand exceeds supply here, at any time, there would be a blackout or a brownout, one of the two. Brownout is when the power just goes down to a lower voltage level. Instead of being 110, it goes to 90 or something like that. So, you know, your lights dim and stuff like that because it doesn't have enough, enough voltage. Okay. So all of this worked really well. And that was one of, if not the main reasons that the United States became an industrial powerhouse because we had electricity that met three criteria. Number one was plentiful. We had it every place throughout the country, essentially. Number two, it was low cost. Number three, it was reliable. In terms of uh, balancing demand, what do all the power sources do when people wake up or when they come home or when there's peak times? How do they prepare for it normally? Okay, well, I'll get to that in a second, but yes, I'm going to get to that. But I'm saying the key parts of our grid here is the way it's set up here. It gives us three benefits. It's plentiful. It's available every place effectively. It's low cost and it's reliable. We take all those things for granted. And I can tell you in a lot of other places in the world, that's not the case. In fact, that's probably the number one difference between the United States and a third world country is, is that they don't have electricity that's plentiful, affordable, low, low cost, and uh, uh, reliable. Well, once, once that is gone, everything else fall, falls apart. So it's just like if, if we had the grid go down, let's say, for a week throughout the United States, believe me, you would be amazed at how quickly the entire country would revert to a third world country status. Well, I'm sure. I saw it here locally, yeah. Yes. Well, that was everybody thought it would be just a day or two. But if I'm saying, and I'm sure that's what our opponents are going to do at some point, they're going to take down the grid. And uh, 
everything would stop. There will be no cell phones. There will be no television. There will be no communication by and large. There'll be no electricity any place in the house. So there'll be no heat. There'll be no refrigeration, no refrigerator, no stove. You stop and think of all the things that we're dependent on here. As they say, literally, I'm not joking here. There'd be third world status. Pretty badly off because citizens well, today are not used to living without all of these benefits. Well, one thing I thought of during the week of, uh, of hell here is if you had an electric car, you can't even charge your car, at least if you have a gas car, you the gas charge, station's working. You know? Typically, you couldn't charge a gasoline one either because they, they require electricity as well. Now, they may have a generator to do it, but they require electricity to pump too. But uh, yes. A lot more electricity is required for an electric car than it would be to run a gas pump. So how do they how do they uh, take into account uh, unexpected variation? So there's there's two types of variations that are unexpected. One would be unexpected uh, demand changes, another spike of demand for whatever reason. That's one type of variation they need to account for. And the second is unexpected uh, failure of a supply source, a gas all of a sudden as a part break or something. So part of it goes down. Well, to cover those two special keyword and unexpected is the other keyword, uh, situations, they build into the grid approximately a 15% safety. So actually the grid- but Is that like a 15, a 15% overcapacity yes. at all times? Yes. Okay. So I'm calling it a safety. So 15% over demand, over capacity. Over is, it, demand. is it over the highest peak demand recorded no, over the really, past month, for instance? It's a changing, no, it's a changing amount here. So they have things on standby. So they turn them on or off as demand increases during the day. So if demand is increasing during the day for around five o'clock, they also bump up their, uh, their backup too. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700-plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000-plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. In anticipation of to, to, to maintain this 15% uh, margin. Okay, well, that, that, that strategy, there's, there's a cost to that, obviously, to have that. But because everything is so economical, the cost you're paying, let's say 10 cents a kilowatt hour or whatever it is, takes into account that the cost of that uh, excess safety margin that's built into the grid here. That's one of the amazing things about the whole thing. The system works amazingly well, amazingly has worked amazingly well for over 100 years. So that's how, it, that's the gist, as I said, keep it simple here, but that's that's the gist of how things work. So that safety margin is only supposed to be utilized under two circumstances. One is there's an unexpected bump in demand that that would be absorbed by that. They would immediately respond. If they see this spike going up of demand, they would also tr- try to jack up some of their uh, their backups that they have, you know, ready and waiting. But even so, until that, you know, there's no, those don't come on instantaneously. So it may take an hour. It depends on what the source is. In the meantime, they would have this 15% to absorb it. The second thing, as they say, is an unexpected uh, supply failure. That rarely happens. All of these conventional sources are 
95 plus or so percent uh, dependable, uh, they just don't fail. I mean, a nuclear facility just doesn't fail ordinarily. Neither does a gas facility or coal facility or hydro. They're all extremely dependable. We've been doing them a long time and they good equipment. They know what they're doing, they're serviced. Okay, so that's the situation it started out as and everything was working fine. So along comes wind energy. Now, the number one uh, problem with wind energy, there are several, but the number one problem with this, it is this, this is the first source, electricity source, that is not controlled by us, by my people, by man. So in other words, uh, I can't call up a, a wind developer and say, okay, I want 50 megawatts, megawatt hours of power next Tuesday. You can't do that. I could call up a gas source and say that, and a nuclear source, and a hydro source, and a coal source, and they said, sure, no problem. But I can't do that because he has no idea what wind is going to be available, dependent on nature. So there may be zero wind. He could pro provide zero. It's a complete crapshoot. How do they plan these product projects then? How do they estimate what the power output will be? Well, they know what the power output is under optimum circumstances, and those are the quotes that those are the figures they give you. They don't tell you mm. the, the range. They just tell you under when it's operating under optimum circumstances, here's what'll happen. Yeah, we know that, but we have no idea what these optimum, when these optimum circumstances are going to occur. Zero idea. Now they they keep saying bull-only, like, well, we're getting better at forecasting. That's just that sales crap. You know, better than what? And, you know, better doesn't mean any guarantees. All you do is to show them, say, okay, fine. You're going to guarantee us with a penalty if you don't comply with it to provide us this amount of electricity next Tuesday afternoon at 4 o'clock, right? Well, wait a minute. You're so good. You're doing such great forecasting. You should have a high confidence level here. Well, we're, we're, we're getting better than we were. Yeah, right. But it's just blowing, total blowing. So, the fact is this, once once we understand, just that's why I'm trying to keep it simpler, once once you understand that the grid has to be balanced every fraction of a second, when you throw in, uh, let's say any, if you throw in a trivial amount of wind energy, what happens is, is that the fluctuations of it are absorbed by this safety margin. Makes sense, okay. Well, it doesn't make sense because that's not, that's not the intention. That's why I repeated it several times. That is for unexpected supply mm. failures, unexpected demand here. This is not unexpected. This is expected supply deviation. Why, why were wind and solar allowed to be part of the grid? Because there's when, a lot of people who are idiots. That's what happened in Texas. That's what I'm getting to show you. That's what happened in Texas. These people are idiots. They're fools. Once we have a wild card thrown into this system that was working like clockwork perfectly for over 100 years, we now throw in a wild card that says, hey, I have no control over this supply that's now plugged into the grid here. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Well, so if I have no control over, I don't know what this, what's it going to be next uh, hour or next five minutes, quite frankly. Another variable that's part of the problem here is that wind is not some linear source of electricity. Because of the physics involved, the power output of a wind turbine is actually proportional to the cube, the cube of the wind. So now what, what that means is, trying to keep it simple here, what that means is that small changes in, uh, let's say, if I go from 10 miles an hour to 8 miles an hour, okay, well, probably the average person would think, well, okay, that's a 20% drop, and that would be a 20% drop in the, the, the electricity output. 
No, that would be a one-to-one -one relation. The fact is it's, it's a Q. So you have to work it out, but instead of a 20% drop, it's like a 70%. So wind power is incredibly variable even when yeah. it's functioning. Yes, right, good, exactly. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't that uh, strain the circuits and the grid itself if it's so variable? Of course, there's all sorts of implications that are problems. No one is uh, speaking up for that. No one is, uh, my view, they ought to be billed for it. So in other words, if they have to have translators and stuff like that that are dampening the, the, the fluctuations here, that that's a cost, the, the wind developer should pay for that. And so when people are saying, what's the cost of wind power? That should be part of the cost, but they don't do that. They include that as overhead cost. It's just like when they fact that the, because a wind project is uh, 100 miles away from where it's needed, there's 100 miles of new transmission lines uh, that are put in. And so that should be billed to the wind developer as being that's part of the cost to deliver your power. Not for somebody else, it's for you. But no, they include that as part of an overhead cost, not attributing it to the wind. The whole thing is just amazing, amazing. So anyways, back to the, the grid situation here. The fact that wind... Change is number one, unpredictable. Number two, changes extremely quickly. A little, a one mile an hour change in the, the wind speed is, is a fairly big change in the power output. So this is not debatable. That's, that's what it is. So how does the grid manager who's trying to balance his supply and demand here, how do they handle this source that's in here that's going up and down? How do they handle that? Well, good question. And again, the average person has no clue of anything I'm telling you here, like the cube, uh, the power output. That's what I mean. You start talking to people about this kind of stuff, their eyes glaze over. So anyways, so the, there's only one way of looking at this, and that is that wind, and wind is not a, uh, a source that is on the grid by itself. It doesn't exist okay. by itself. Now, they may say, well, I, I, we can make it exist by itself. I say, no, you can't. So if you want to take a perfect example, I say, okay, here. I'll tell you what, let's go to Hawaii. We're going to take the island of Oahu as an example. Okay, so right now, Oahu, as I'm making this up, has, has one gigabit of uh, a nuclear facility. All right, so the question is, I'm going to shut that nuclear facility down. Take it off. Scrape it off. So we're starting now with no electricity. So you tell me, Mr. Wind Developer, how many turbines that you need to put on Oahu to replicate the output of that nuclear facility. Is it 100? Is it 1,000? Is it 10,000? Is it 100,000? Is it a million? Well, I can tell you the answer is it's uh, infinite. There is no number of turbines that would replicate what that nuclear facility is doing. Why is that? Because of the intermittency of, of wind? Are we paying attention here? I told you it's the nature of wind here that it's completely unpredictable and it goes to zero every day. Well, you're, you're setting it up, so I'm not trying to ask stupid questions. I'm just asking you to give a bit more details. So that's why right. we discussed yeah. this already that wind industry fluctuates, wind turbines fluctuate up and down and go to zero every day. So if you had a thousand, if you had 10,000, if you had 100,000, they're all going to go to zero every day. Yes, yeah, so you need some kind of backup storage at the very least. Okay, that, that's the type of baloney they tell you. But if you understood the cost of storage and how it would cost you probably a billion dollars to have storage for about uh, two hours. Wow. Really? Yeah. Depends on the size which you need here, but it's it's extraordinarily expensive for tiny little bits of it. So sure, it's one of these things that says, oh, why do we do that? Yeah. Well, again, 
we're talking about people who are technically challenged and they make make all these claims and statements about things they have little understanding of. And again, I would say, fine, if there's going to be storage, then the wind developer should pay for that as part of the necessary, necessary balancing of their power. And that'll be included. So when we say, what's the cost of wind energy? We're going to keep all these things as part of the cost, the balance, the storage, the uh, electric, uh, the transmission, the other uh, converters and so forth we have to put on the grid here to dampen the outputs. All these types of things need to be attributed. And none of them are. None of them. And that's why they get away by lying, saying, well, wind is cheap. Well, it's because everybody's absorbing all of their costs. That's why. Are wind and solar projects not subject to environmental audits on, uh, you know, what's the environmental consequence of putting them in? Right. There's no federal rules uh, regarding wind energy. As far as states go, I'm not aware of a single state that has meaningful rules. So they have arranged this. This is, again, done by the wind developers. They have arranged this. So the entire responsibility for environmental monitoring and regulation is on the local level. Now, they did that on purpose because they know local people are idiots. They're not technically knowledgeable enough to understand what needs to be done. Again, we're talking about electric, electrical supply here. So they all of a sudden go to a, a town, let's say in New York State, that's uh, they're proposing a 100 turbine facility. And they walk in and say, hey, we're going to give you uh, $2 million a year here for the next 20 years. So it's $40 million. Uh, have you had any other offers like that? Of course. Of course not. They haven't. So they say, where do we sign? And so somebody stands up and says, well, wait a minute. What about uh, rules and regulations here? And the wind developer says, here, here's, here's a document. If you want to have some rules and regulations, this is what we recommend you do. Get that. I'm not joking. This is literally what happens. The person who's the applicant gives the town the rules that the applicant has to abide by. Literally. Well, because the town says, uh, oh, my goodness, uh, if we, and then there's citizens that say, they come and say, oh, they have to be better rules than that. I mean, for instance, the setbacks, the wind developer is going to say uh, one times the, or one and a half times the uh, the height of the turbine. So if it's 600 feet, it's 900 feet setback. Well, the the science says about 10 times the, the type. So there's a big difference between what the developer says and what the science says. So citizens go to the town and say, let's have a uh, a more reasonable setback here, like five times or something anyways. And then the developer says, no, 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 you, you start doing that here. We're going to go someplace else. There's plenty of other uh, communities that want this money. If you want to fool around, fine, that's up to you. But we're going to go someplace else here if that's the right pull on it. So now these town, town board, these low-level, non-technical people uh, – you know, mother, school teacher, policeman, whatever, not, know nothing about the, the grid or anything else here. They're put in a bind to say, you know, if we if we pass some rules here that actually have some meaning, we're going to kick $40 million in the teeth here. And they don't do it because of that. Okay, back to our story. So what uh, what's necessary on the grid is to, to keep this balance here that has to be maintained every second is that wind energy needs to have something that augments it 100% of the time. So in other words, for every megawatt of wind uh, development, there needs to be one megawatt of an auxiliary source. Now, the only source that we have these days that uh, will adequately balance, in other words, it has to be a fast response source because wind goes up and down real fast. This has to be a source that goes in the reverse up and down. So it's sort of like uh, the example I use, like a dance partnership. You know who Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are? Yep, I've seen them dance, yeah. That might be before your time, but okay. Anyway, yeah, They were really skinny, but good dancers, yeah. 
Yes. So they were professional dancers. So Ginger Rogers didn't dance by herself. She she danced as a partnership. So that's sort of what is going on here in the grid here. There's a partnership. Wynn and its auxiliary source are married together as a partnership. They're dancing. So when one goes forward, the other goes back and vice versa. Version of now, the only ones I said, the only source that actually makes any sense here is gas. Gas can ramp up and down very quickly. So 95 plus percent of the time when it's done right, when uh, wind does actually have a, a, a dedicated source, it's gas. So what we really have is a wind plus gas package that actually exists on the grid. So once we have wind plus gas as a package, well, now those can be treated as the other conventional source, nuclear, those things here, because the package will be a dependable source. But the downside, of course, to wind is, number one, this is a lot more expensive than what they're claiming their cost is. Number two, it's no longer CO2-free. This is some of the baloney they've been saying. Hey, we're a low-cost CO2-free source. It's not true. It's a lie. Wind well, first be- of all, in, in, if it was unsubsidized, what would be the cost ratio of wind and solar versus conventional? Three to one, ten to one? In my, in my view, uh, the subsidies are more than what you're probably talking about. As I said already, the fact that they are getting free transmission lines is a subsidy. The fact that they are not paying for the augmenting source, that's a subsidy. So if you multiply, if you add them all up as to what the real cost of wind is, it's typically about four times more than our conventional. Mm, okay. Offshore wind is like five times. But onshore is about four times. Offshore is about five five times as much. Right. Substantial. No, it's not a cheap source here. It's not CO2-free because it has to be, it needs gas to balance it. So that's, the whole thing is a lot. So anyways, some grids here. So ERCOT, Texas, is its own grid. It's one of the few places that its single state has its own grid. Most other grids in the United States are multiple. Texas, being large enough, it has its own grid. So the question is, did ERCOT, the grid manager, require that every megawatt of wind be, have a dedicated megawatt of an auxiliary source, particularly yes? And the answer is no, they didn't. Well, this is incompetence right off the bat. And number two, it's dishonest because they're playing along because they knew once they did that, that that would expose, this would be like the emperor having no clothes here. All of a sudden, if ERCOT made this requirement to say you are required to have a, a 100% backup here because you're going to go to zero every day, where's this? Where's it going to come from unless we have a dedicated thing for you? Well, because this, this is the ruse. They didn't want to admit because there were some state politicians pushing wind energy. So if they admitted publicly that they really have to have it backed up, so that means the cost is way more than there. And number two, to say this is a, a fossil fuel source besides, so it's not CO2 free, all of a sudden people would start saying, well, wait a minute, why do we have wind in the first place? And then if they were really smart, they would say, let me think about this. If you every, every megawatt of wind requires a megawatt of gas, why don't we just have the megawatt of gas? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly what some scientists have done and calculated. Now, I don't want to get too complicated, but, uh, and that is that uh, there's actually, when we say gas is a, you know, an electricity, there's actually two different distinct types of gas. Are you aware of that? Uh, natural gas and refined uh, gas from gas, crude. How about gas? Uh, not, not the type right. of gas itself. I'm talking about gas equipment, gas generators. Two different types of gas generators. Oh, okay. I don't know. No, what are they? This is a significant point here. Okay. So 
the two types of gas generators are they're in the business they're called either a single cycle versus a combined cycle two technical or another type they call a turbine gas that's the same thing as single cycle let's say single cycle versus combined cycle those are the two so the, these are designed differently uh, they're, they're different types of generation so it's like a i don't know a difference between a a diesel engine in a car and a gasoline engine in a car. They do the same in job, but their design and a lot of stuff is different. So why do they have two? Okay, well, that's a good question. There's three key features of, uh, of these these generators. And uh, the reason they have two, two types, is because when they went through and different companies come up with different designs, GE, whatever, uh, it turns out that they ended up with different uh, features. So the three features are these, three primaries. One would be the cost. So what's the cost of a, a one, uh, let's say, megawatt generator? Compare the single cycle versus the combined cycle. Uh, the combined cycle is considerably more. So there's a cost difference. Okay. So if a utility company wants the cheaper version, they're going to go to the singles. And we're talking about hundreds. Of- okay. Second factor is what's the response time. You might, it might not make a difference, but well, in the business here, that is a difference. There's, so there is a significant difference in the single cycle has a much faster response than a combined cycle. Okay. So if the needs are for a utility company to have fast response time, they would tend to prefer the, the single cycle. There's two pluses. be a less extent faster response than the single cycle, right? All right. So there's a third criteria, though, and that is how much CO2 they produce. Okay, well, this is where the single cycle does poorly. Compared to the two, the single cycle produces significantly more CO2 than the combined cycle. Design mm. high efficiency unit, low CO2, the objective of the design. All right. So when, when a utility company puts a megawatt of turbines on and they have to balance it with a megawatt of gas, I think they have to, Burkhardt didn't make them, but in some other places they do. But if they if they did do that, the utility company would pick, most of the time, the single cycle unit because, number one, it's low cost. Number two, it has a fast response time, which is what what a balancing of wind needs, and up and down fast. Wow, so it's throwing uh, good money after bad, and it's causing more emissions than if you never had alternative energy, like wind and solar. Well, that, that's the question here, whether it does it more than that. So that's what we're going to get to. Here. So the question, so that's the result here. So what, when you're pairing wind plus gas, what we, if you want to be extra technical, you'd say wind plus single cycle rather than wind combined cycle. But again, these are hmm. technical details that 99.9% of the public no knowledge about and maybe could care less about, but it's, but it's a big deal. Right. Okay. So anyway, that's, that's the point I'm trying to say here. Ordinarily, I don't have an exact statistic, but 90 plus percent, that would be the pairing, wind plus single cycle. Got it, now, okay. So some interesting uh, scientists, a college professor, whatever, came along and said, okay, what what would be the comparison of the uh, wind plus single cycle gas CO2 with the same amount of just combined cycle gas unit by itself? So they wouldn't have a single cycle gas. That's where the difference comes. Now, if you had just the combined cycle gas, or you just wanted to do gas by itself, the smart way to go would be combined cycle, because it's, it's designed to run more full out, lower CO2. Yes, it costs more, but compared to the cost of the two things, when plus the single cycle, it's less expensive. But, so what these people find, so for instance, you can look it up, uh, the Benford study is one of them, that there's been more. They concluded that the combined cycle gas by itself, one megawatt, Combined cycle gas running 
full time, you know, 100% of the time by itself would be, would have less CO2 than wind plus the single cycle. Okay. How much less? Well, there's some variables there. I don't remember the exact amount. It's significant. Okay. Significantly less. Got it. 100% less, but maybe 25% less, something like that. Measure. So what that says in itself is a very profound thing. So the people who are clamoring for uh, climate change, that we need to reduce our CO2 here, they, when, and then they're saying the answer is wind energy. This is how ignorant they are. They're either ignorant or they're completely dishonest. Because on the grid, wind has to be paired with single cycle gas. And so the combine of those two things here actually produces more gas, more CO2 than the combined cycle gas. So these people who are saying we need to do everything we can to reduce our CO2 are actually choosing purposely a choice that is higher CO2. That's terrible. Well, it's because of ignorance. I mean, most of these people who are talking, as I said, if you asked them about uh, what happens when you throw the switch, they couldn't explain it. And yet they're gunned up and making all sorts of assertions about wind versus nuclear. This is ridiculous. These people have no idea what they're talking about. So, so is one of your favorite people Greta Thunberg? For sure. She's a manipulated person. I mean, I feel sorry. I know. But I'm sure she's a nice girl, but she's been fully propagandized. She's, she's a victim. Yeah. So anyway, coming back to the Yurkot situation here, they allowed these fluctuations in uh, wind energy to be compensated. Instead of demanding that every uh, megawatt uh, megawatt of wind had a megawatt auxiliary, they looked the other way. And uh, if a utility company wouldn't do it, and they're certainly not going to do it if they're not mandated to do it, I mean, this is an extra cost to have them have something else. So they're going to say, fine, if I'm not, <laughs> if I'm not required to do this, I'm not going to do it. Why not? This is, a, you know, they're in the business for the money. Right. So, so they didn't. So every time uh, wind dropped here precipitously, which was every day, what happened was that uh, it got soaked up by the safety reserve, which is totally illegal, 100% illegal, because the safety reserve is for two other purposes to protect the grid safety-wise, and wind's fluctuations have nothing to do with safety. This is a inherent characteristic of the wind. So they have no business. It should should be out and out illegal for them to steal from the safety margin to compensate for their uh, irregularity. But it allowed them to do that. If there was a 15% safety margin stipulated, how much, what percentage of the total energy came from wind and solar? Was it 15% or a lot more? Well, in Texas, Texas is the number one state as far as percentage, and that's how they've gotten to a problem. Now, other other states here, the, the typical amount is 3% or 4%, and they do somewhat the same thing. But the fact is, that when they have 5%, let's say, their safety margin can get away with it. In other words, the public won't know that because they don't know that there is such a thing as a safety margin. So it gets absorbed. And because the players here are all in cahoots, this lie, this deception, this theft is not really made known to the public. No. All right. So ju- ju- just to restate and to be clear, so if wind comprises 5% of a given area's electricity with the 15% buffer, when the wind goes out, it's not noticed because you still have about 10% buffer. Right. Okay. But they're, that's, they're stealing illegally from the safety margin. This is not a safety. It's there to protect the grid from safety uh, challenges to it. And those are two. One is unexpected peaks in demand, and the other is unexpected failures, not, not everyday expected, unexpected failures of supply. So okay. what happened in uh, Texas is, is that they have now gotten up to 
I looked it up in the EIA here, National Forces, and they're something like 28%. Jesus. So when 28% drops from, let's say it goes from 28% to, to 3%, it didn't go entirely to zero, pretty close to zero, but when it drops from 28% to 3%, well, that's a 25% drop. So the question is, where is that going to come from? Well, percent can't do it. Now, ERCOT realized that, and they saw this coming. So they said, oh, my God, we're going to have to increase the 15% here. But the fact it was 15% is a lot of other things sitting there running already. So, I mean, they do, they just don't have another 10% sitting around saying, hey, give me a call someday. You know, if these things would be sitting around, they'd be in mothballs. I mean, no no facility, no gas facility or whoever it would be would stay in business if they only got a call once every year. So they don't have them, basically. Okay. That's their 15%. I mean, they may have a percent or two sitting around someplace, but they don't have anywhere near 25%. How how long has this situation been going on at these levels with this 28%? Ever since they passed 15%, so a couple of years. So this was waiting for a disaster like this to happen? It's not a disaster. It was 100% predictable. Well, predictable disaster, but yeah. Well... This just exposed the stupidity of ERCOT's decisions here, or lack of decisions here, and this whole idea of saying, well, let's let wind be by itself. That's what they were allowing it to be. That's ridiculous. If a quarter of your, your supply is by itself, what are you going to do when it goes down? What, how are you going to fill in this quarter? They have no idea. Well, let's take something. That, okay, the safety grid will do 15%, but uh, you're short. And that's exactly what happened. So it's not any more complicated than that. These people, that's the second paper wrote, they have all sorts of other things saying, well, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do that. My, my opinion is bullshit. That just, that's just obfuscation. It's just not, not that some of these things don't have some merit, but they're dancing around, they're, you know, they're furring around the edges here. Yeah, what I've that's heard is that they're, they're claiming, uh, oh, I, I don't know, which plants they're referring to needed to be winterized and they weren't. What, what's that mean? What are they saying there? They're talking about other things. So the fact is the, they're talking about gas and other things. So the fact is, if you look at the, the percentage of what gas did, they brought other gas facilities online here. But so it wasn't. And then the wind people say, well, some gas places failed. Well, yeah, some gas places did fail, but we shouldn't need to bring on 25% of new gas here to compensate for wind energy's uh, inadequacies here. But that's mm. what they were trying to do. The entire thing is 100% on the back of the wind industry, 100%, not 99, 100%. So what, what actually happened then? You, you have a timeline of what really happened, you know, going through that throughout that whole week. Like, what do you see now with your eyes and your perspective? Like, literally what happened? What happened was, is that the, they threw all the supply they could throw at it, and the demand actually started going up because people were home, just like when they go home at 5 o'clock. I said, that's another peak time of day. So when everybody's home and everybody's got their their utilities on, and particularly when they're turning on heat, which a lot of people in Texas probably have electric-based heat, HVACs and whatever, and uh, that's even more of a draw. So they had a a higher-than-ordinary demand besides, so the whole thing just just collapsed. So that's why they had blackouts. So they said, the only way we can deal this without shutting everybody down, so they had rolling blackouts, basically. Well, they they said they did, but they didn't roll. They were just out for like 72, 96 plus hours in a lot of places. So it wasn't I mean, rolling. Like that. I mean, I know other people in Texas that were out for six hours at a time. And that's a, 
I don't know how they did it. As I said, I was well, I, w- I was there, and they didn't roll in a lot of places. Okay. Well, there's <laughs> some they did, but a lot they didn't. Again, I'm, I'm not making a statement for everything. I wasn't there, but some parts that's what they tried to do to minimize the pain. There were other parts, maybe for whatever reasons, technical reasons, they weren't able to. So, so keep going. So they, they try to bring on online all this excess capacity, and then what happened? Well, they just didn't meet it for short. What can they do? I mean, if they have a demand of uh, 12 gigawatts and their maximum supply flat full out is uh, 10 gigawatts, somebody's got to shut down. So they have to shut down two gigawatts of uh, demand someplace. Well, they were also saying that uh, there was some issue where the grid could have gone down and literally broken for a month at a time. What is that? What are they saying in that regard? They, they said if I don't know if they didn't manage to quote unquote fix it, the grid would have been lost for a month plus. How could that be? I think a lot of things are being said, Richard, distracting. I'm, I'm not aware of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, with, during the week, what I heard on the news was admonitions like, even if you have power, pretend like you don't. And if you know if things don't improve and too many people want power, then the grid's going to go down for like a whole month and we're all going to be screwed. Okay, you're telling that's what me they were saying. Te- technical information from the news? Come on. Yes. No, no I know the news. That's what the news was saying. Why would they say that? Yeah. Because they're idiots. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, there's no credibility for the news to tell you the ins and outs of the grid. Please. Okay. I, know, I was just wondering why they would say that and what, what it really I, means. Why do they say anything about the election or anything else here? They're incompetent. They have some other agenda. So, so the situation was like they literally couldn't do anything until it got warmer here and the demand went down. Pretty much, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they, they, they just can't make supply out of nothing. If they have all the supplies, I mean, they know all their sources of seed generation. If they're all working flat out and they've got 10 gigawatts of power being generated, but the demand is 12, there's nothing they can do. Okay. My point is they they got into that situation full knowledge that they were going to be in that situation by not expecting to have wind industry balanced by an equal amount of auxiliary power. If they had that, they would have had to build some more gas units and stuff like that to do that. And those gas units would have been on, everything would have been fine. Now, in fact, even if some of the, even if nuclear or some other thing had some some glitches that weren't 100%, all those would have been absorbed in the safety margin, and no one would have known a damn thing. Okay. So we exceeded the safety margin full well because of incompetence and because of uh, trying to do what's politically correct, trying to avoid uh, embarrassing the wind business by saying, hey, you're really not as cheap as you're pretending, and you're actually not a CO2-free source. So there. Well, that would just completely disrupt the whole apple card here. That's uh, the whole win thing is a house of cards. So that would be effectively knocking down the entire house of cards. So they didn't want to do that. Erka didn't want to do that because that would embarrass the governor and other, like Perry, other people, Bush, et cetera, who were part of the uh, problem here and getting all this stuff started. Uh, there's a lot of people to be blamed. So what um, an investigation into what happened, and I'm laughing as I say it, because I'm sure nothing will happen. Um, you, the, the whole investigation is going to be run by the wind developers. These people uh, have some political power. I mean, I've already talked to some state legislators in Texas who are influential, and they already schedule hearings and stuff like that. But I can tell you, the whole wind lobby is gone full blaster. They don't want to acknowledge this reality that I'm telling you. So they're going to blame everybody else. They're going to say stupid things like, 
well, it's the fault of ERCOT that they didn't give us more transmission lines. And, you know, just stuff that's bullshit. Totally false. Totally false. But well, do you, you have any estimate on how many people citizens have enough knowledge to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff? And the evidence says no. How many people uh, have reported to have been killed by them? I mean, essentially, they, they caused the deaths of, I would guess, probably 100 plus people by doing this freezing in the death. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know the exact number, but that's the case. So that's another reason that the wind developers are, are going flat out not to acknowledge any responsibility. What about, um? you talked about wind a lot. What about solar? How much of our grid in Texas is from solar? And solar is was the same problem there? It's a similar problem. I wouldn't say it's the same. So for instance, an example, solar doesn't ramp up and down at the same speed that wind does. They don't have this uh, cube relationship. Okay. So solar is more linear. Uh, but uh, so, so that, that's a big difference as to what has to be balanced. So solar can be balanced by other things, cycle gas. But yes, they still need it because again, Every single day, solar is going to zero. Okay, so if you have 10 megawatts of solar someplace, where is that 10 megawatts that's going to step in when solar goes to zero at night? Well, if they don't have that assigned, dedicated, say, well, we'll, we'll steal from the, the safety margin. Well, that, that's, that's, again, what you don't want to hear, that they're going to say, let's, let's look the other way and let's let them steal from the safety margin. Nobody will be the wiser. Okay. So what do you think is going to be the fallout from this? Nothing? Will anything change? Well, or I'm, what do I'm you a bit of an optimist. I hope some things will, will change. Uh, I've contacted some legislators in my little document to say, here's what the facts are. They're, 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 I'm just telling you, they're going to be under intense pressure. And I'm disappointed. There's other organizations in Texas that are ordinarily good, like the Texas Public Policy Foundation, like that. I mean, they've written some articles about this already. They didn't hardly even mention what I'm telling you, that this is really the core problem. They talked about a variety of other things. Again, there's a, there's a whole bunch of things that could be done better. Who would, who would argue that? The question is, when you boil it all down, what's the fundamental core problem that caused this situation? And the fact that they didn't have this 100% balance is it. That's it. All these other things are secondary. What do you think is going to happen if that gets anywhere that's near? That's the, ridiculous, the and that's why the wind industry is going to fight this, to make sure like, like, that no one stands up and acknowledges the, the, the king doesn't have any clothes, the emperor. Because once, once Texas, if Texas stands up and does the right thing and says, we're requiring that you have 100% backup here, that would have extraordinary ramifications throughout the world. Yeah, I mean, like, what you know, I'm from New York. What if they do this to New York? I mean, New York gets freezing cold weather and problems all the time. I mean, if, mm. what, what are you supposed to do if you're in the winter for two months and it's freezing and it's overcast and all that, and now you're out of power, which is crazy. Exact same thing that we have now here. As long as the wind is a low percentage, they are going to steal from the safety market. Once it gets above that, they no longer have that. Mm. So we're going to go to blackouts, and they're going to blame can, the, can grids borrow energy and capacity from other grids, or no? It depends. Uh, from what I understand of ERCOT, yeah, they're sort of insulated, so they're not connected to some of these other grids as well to, to do that. First of all, if you're talking about, uh, I don't know, a large weather storm, let's say, that comes down here or, north or whatever, New York, for instance, if you're saying about that, that wouldn't be the only state affected. So Ohio, Pennsylvania, et cetera, they don't have the same problem. So they're not going to have excess stuff to New York. So it's possible in the future we could have a multi-state blackout that could last Oh, it's 100% months. certain if they continue on the plan. Jesus, that would like cripple literally the United States. I believe that's their intention. When you say their intention, who? We're behind all this. Who do you think? Yeah, I mean, the wind developers want to make money, solar too, but 
what's what's we're, another level of intention here. here? They're not really pushing. They're a player. They're somebody that's taking advantage of this political plan. Well, that's a topic for another whole conversation. But uh, the answer is 350.org. Oh, a website named 350.org, what we should look at? Okay. So who's the guy behind that? Uh, I don't know. I'll have to look. That's the guy oh. that's pulling the strings here. He's the person who sits down when Bernie Sanders wants to come up with environmental policy, when Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, all these people have this particular individual sit, get their marching orders from the Sierra Club, wants to decide what their programs, their methodology, et cetera, are supposed to be. Usually concerned scientists, like Greenpeace, they all get it from the same guy. So all these people are being instructed by one. Can you give a little bit of a spoiler and say it's who it is? is? Bill. Okay, I see you. Bill McKibben. Good. Okay, I'll have to read about this. Yeah. All right. He is considered the leading environmentalist in the world in Vermont, where he lives, but in the world. So wow. He's a very influential figure. He's written quite a few books. So if you want to say what that what are they trying to do, you ought to read some of his books and you'll see what he is advocating. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll check that out. All right, John. We're right at the end. What? How can people find out more about you and get on your newsletter and all that? Where can they? What are well, some resources? Send me an email. Uh, you know, go to my website, wiseenergy.org. My email's there, or aaprjohn at northnet.org. Free newsletter, ten thousand subscribers. Keep you up to date on energy. We do. We cover the four E's. So that's energy, environment, uh, education matters, and election. Okay. Well, very good. Well, John, thank you for coming back. I, I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.